It's Wednesday, March 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Wednesday, my friend. Just me. Just you. Happy Hump Day. Uh, we've got Abercrombie and Fitch with their latest quarter. We will dip into the full mailbag. But let's start with the latest results from Wayfair, which is the online catalog company if you're looking for home goods and furnishings and the like. And they went public last October. And in sports terms, they needed a hit, and boy, it looks like they got one. Fourth quarter profit and revenue came in higher than expected. They raised guidance for the first quarter. We'll get to the guidance in a second, but this this is a damn good quarter. It, it was. They they really capitalized on on the holiday season, and I mean, I really like the focused market that they that they uh, that they're chasing. You know, it's not like an Amazon everything store. I mean, they're focused on that one specific market in the home goods and home furnishings. Uh, you know, they. I didn't. I didn't realize this until I looked at it. But you realize this company—they have doubled sales since 2012. 2012, they brought in about 600 million in revenue. Uh, 2014, it was 1.3 billion. And with a company like this, that's really the indicator you want to pay attention to, right? It's a new new company, newly public, and so there are going to be a lot of costs kind of trickling through that income statement for the foreseeable future uh, as they sort of uh, you know get their footing and, and grow the business. But when you look at a company growing sales at that rapid a clip, you know they're doing something right. And a couple of things that really stood out to me was the the, the growth in active customers uh, of fifty four percent, and then customers repeat customers place fifty percent of their total orders. So that that tells me there there's a very healthy mix of bringing new customers in, uh, and and also really showing the the value that they're providing, the brand power that they have to keep customers coming back for more. And I mean, when you think about it, it only makes sense. I mean, the beauty of this model, because they keep, you know, they they maintain these relationships with their suppliers, so they maintain this very, you know, sort of light balance sheet. They don't have to maintain a lot of inventory, uh, so it's it's kind of like a tech company, really. Uh, but you know, you think about what that target market. I mean, it's hard to go from store to store to store shopping for a couch, for example, right? I mean, it's a lot easier to go to one of Wayfair's properties and just surf around and, and see what you find. I mean, people know what they want, but they're not sure specifically what it is they're looking for. And Wayfair really enables them to find it. And then they are uh, just capitalizing on this network of suppliers around the country uh, to be able to uh, you know go ahead and ship those ship those goods to their customers that are obviously doing, doing a good job of it. And you alluded to the balance sheet, which they've got a good-looking balance sheet. They don't really have any debt to speak of. But as you said, they are a newly public company. They are spending a lot of money on marketing. I'm wondering, is gross margins something to, if not be concerned about, certainly something to pay attention to? Because when you look at what they're spending on marketing, when you look at their fulfillment costs, shipping, etc., it would seem like gross margins is slightly more important with this company than any other company. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a great point you make there, and that's one of the, that's one of the uh, primary metrics I'm going to continue to focus on with them because uh, you know they they maintain about thirty percent of their their workforce is focused solely on customer service. So you know they don't they don't have a really uh, heavy sort of capital structure, and so gross margin indicates to us. You know what what kind of pricing they're able to maintain, and and I think you know this is a founder led business, and these these guys are taking taking a page out of the old Jeff Bezos book of e commerce, and they they really understand 
uh, the the value in making sure you give your customers what they need, what they want, uh, putting a, a big priority on customer service, and, and that's working because you can see those repeat customers continue to come on in the door. And really, the the, the amazing thing with this company is is the market opportunity that's that's out there still. I think they have somewhere in their neighborhood of 3.2 million active customers. They they see an opportunity. They, they focus primarily on on women. That's that's their primary market opportunity. About 70 75 percent of their purchases come from women. Uh, but but when you look at a, a market opportunity out there uh, of 230 billion dollars today, domestically speaking alone, and, and they just brought in 1.3 billion in sales. I mean, you can see there's a lot uh, out there to capitalize on. And and then if you extend that even further, uh, by 2023, that market opportunity is supposed to be around 300 billion. And this doesn't even take into consideration Europe, which is about the same size, and and it's not a market that they have uh, any presence in today, really. Uh, but that doesn't mean they won't in the future. So, uh, yeah, a lot of encouraging things about this business. Want to continue to like. Really good quarter, and they raise guidance, and not surprisingly, shares of Wayfair up nicely this morning. And they're going mobile. You know, I mean, they they are. You I hear mobile is big. Yeah, it's it's you know it's new and it, it's a smartphone. I mean, uh, I, you know they they realize that smartphone is a big frontier, and so twenty nine percent of all orders in two thousand and fourteen were placed via a mobile device. And I, I guarantee you that's going to continue to improve. And I think that's really important because you're seeing all of these market leaders really investing big in mobile. And, and whether it's in, in the travel industry, you see Priceline and Trip, TripAdvisor doing the same thing. Uh, really, really investing in that mobile mobile space is huge. Seeing results there is going to be really important. And uh, I expect that number to go up over time as well. Wayfair shares are up. On the other hand, shares of Abercrombie and Fitch. Down around 13% this morning, despite the fact that fourth quarter profits did come in higher than expected, but their their comps, oh my <laughs> lord, their same store sales down 10%. And analysts were already expecting them to be down, and it was it was even worse. So the technical term for this, Chris, is the Jeffries effect. <laughs> It's a little-known condition in the retail world, but it can be devastating. In in Abercrombie and Fitch's is watching this play out right before its very eyes. Mike Jeffries, the former CEO, but you're saying the Jeffries effect is lingering. The Jack. That sounds like something. That sounds like something you'd see on a commercial. It's like if you think you're suffering from the Jeffries effect, talk to your doctor. Oh man, I can't imagine the disclosures for that one. Um, Yeah, it's it's. Good point. He's out of there now. He stepped down. He's seventy years old, and so I think part of that was just he had had his time in the sun. And they the haven't other, hired a replacement. They haven't. Which so you know the CFO is really doing all the talking for the business. I mean, hey, on the upside, they are selling their corporate jet, Chris. So it does sound like they're trying to trim the fat. But I mean, you you read about that corporate jet and the the you know they had like a forty page document on how like the behavior was to 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 be on that jet and the do's and the don'ts and whatnot. So there there is a stigma with this company that I think is going to be stuck with them for a long time. And uh, you know, I mean, if there's a more tainted brand out there right now, I'm not sure I know it. Well, and you think about the the average retailer, apparel retailer in that space, American Eagle, Gap, that sort of thing. They emphasize their brand. Right. However, they do as a business, quarter to quarter, they are emphasizing their brand. Abercrombie and Fitch is now in the position of de-emphasizing its brand, of taking the ANF logo off a lot of their merchandise because I think they've realized exactly what you just said. The brand stands for something that people really don't want on their body, and and uh, you know we 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 see this in in you know fashion retail all the time, teen fashion retail especially. It's it's just very fickle, and what's in one day is out another. In in Abercrombie and Fitch 
plain and simple, they're out. And so, yeah, I mean, when you you typically you look at like a brand and a logo, and you think there's some value there, there's some inherent sort of value in that brand that they can capitalize in on the future. And Abercrombie and Fitch's logo, literally, there is no value there. They're they're taking that logo off their clothing, and they're selling clothing with no indicator whatsoever on it. Uh, what what the brand may be, to me that that is a a big problem because it's tantamount to just sort of a you know store generic brand. Uh, so you look at something like a Ralph Lauren that can you know capitalize on that polo logo for example. Abercrombie Fitch is going to have a really hard time you know turning this this uh, this story around so to speak. I'm not saying they can't do it, but I mean. I can't figure. I can't see one reason why I would want to invest in this business. I mean, I will give them props for investing in the the direct to consumer side of the business, the omni channel strategy that that all of these retailers are pursuing today. They are doing a decent job with that, uh, and that's sort of helping shore up some of some of the shortcomings in other departments. But but you know, again, I mean, this is I I, I don't see one catalyst that, that turns this thing around anytime soon. So as an investor, I just have no interest in it. I, neither do I. But I can think of one catalyst, and that is if they get the right CEO. Because while I'm not interested in owning shares of this company, if I were an executive in the retail space, and they came knocking on my door saying, "Would you be interested in this?" I wouldn't dismiss it out of hand simply because Mike Jeffries did such a terrible job running this company that he's an easy act to follow. And if they can get some smart, energetic CEO with some fresh ideas, maybe a new management team along with him or her, whoever they get to run this company, that could be. The catalyst. It could be, and I mean, you know, I think with Mike Jeffries, you know, on the one hand, you could say he did a wonderful job with this company uh, because for the time that he ran it, if, if you they, take the really long <laughs> view, well, yeah, I mean, if you look, he he did, he was able to build a company that that you know sold four and a half billion dollars worth of apparel in two thousand twelve or two thousand thirteen. So that's that's not to be dismissed, but I think all along the way, his behavior and the things that he did didn't set this company up for long term success, and so we're seeing sort of you know he's paying in the piper now for that for that sort of behavior and and to your point yeah if they get a good CEO in there that can sort of change the message that would be encouraging i think that one thing they probably will have to do uh, if if they want to be successful for the longer term, is they're going to probably have to bring a few more brands underneath that umbrella, a la Gap, you know, so that you know Gap has Athleta and Old Navy and and Banana Republic and, and uh, the Gap name brand as well. So maybe Abercrombie and Fitch needs to do something like that to sort of broaden their consumer base a little bit. But yeah, I mean the the name itself right now is, I mean it's it's a pariah. It's just nobody nobody seems to want it. Who was the woman who ran Lululemon Athletica for that tremendous? Six-year run. I'm blanking on Christine, her name. Uh, yeah, her last name's escaping me now. I don't remember, but she did such a phenomenal job mm-hmm. leading that company. I think, I think Martinez, who's the executive chairman at Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, Arthur Martinez, should just maybe pick up the phone. Talk to her, see if he can make her a Godfather offer to you, come run Abercrombie and Fitch. You know that she she would certainly have a lot of leverage in that negotiation, no doubt. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Got a question from Dave who writes I'm 24 years old and I recently received a settlement for about $60,000. I'm going to buy one property with $30,000 down and the other $30,000 I would like to invest in the market, possibly a handful of stocks, bonds, or funds that are mildly aggressive, but at the same time are not overly risky, what would be your plan of action? First of all, 
That's a pretty awesome windfall. That's a that's a I obviously we don't know the details of the settlement, but uh, that's that's a nice position to be in. Not just because it's thirty thousand dollars to invest, but also because. Dave is 24 years old and has decades and decades ahead of him. Oh, yeah. Um, we can't give specific recommendations, but I think we can give some sort of general guidance here. And the first thing I'll offer up is I would look to bonds as a last resort when you just think about it. And that has everything to do with Dave's age. Just oh, yeah. With so much time ahead of him, I would, I would not worry. I think Dave is in the position of... The old saying that you know sometimes the biggest risk is not taking enough risk, and I, I don't think you need to worry about the safety of bonds if you're 24 years old. Yeah, I think so. Dave is in the position. Uh, number one, I, I assume this is after-tax dollars, so I, I'm not sure what the situation here is. But Dave, I mean, make sure you're aware of any tax implications that may be involved with this. Um, you know, come the end of the year. But uh, yeah, I mean, Dave is at 24 in that stage of life where he's focused more. You need to be focused more on growing your wealth as opposed to protecting your wealth. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, taking sort of uh, dumb risks on things like penny stocks or biotechs or. Abercrombie and Fitch or something like that, <laughs> uh, but but it is. I mean, to your point, I, I agree. I would not. Uh, I, I would not pursue bonds at all in this case. I mean, I think they're they're way more attractive uh, dividend paying stocks out there that you could you could plow that money into that that would uh, you know continue to reward uh, you quarter after quarter after quarter with a nice little steady cash stream that would help you know grow that portfolio over time. And really, that's that's what you want to look at with this kind of a. This kind of a uh, an investing basis that you have all the time in the world. So first thing, don't rush. Don't feel like you have to get all thirty thousand dollars into the market immediately because time is your buddy here, and you want you want to take advantage of it. Uh, in regard to volatility and risk, if you're interested in individual stocks, I think that's great. Uh, you know, we have we have Stock Advisor, I think, which is a wonderful service that provides a lot of great ideas. Um, million dollar portfolio too. Obviously, is a real money service where where we uh, manage uh, you know stocks, uh, a portfolio of stocks there. Um, but but if you're looking to just sort of go that individual stock route, I think one way to to help sort of protect yourself there is along with individual stocks, invest some of that money into an S and P index fund or an exchange traded fund, and that gives you instant diversity to all 500 companies in that S and P index. And when you look at the S and P index over time, five, ten, twenty years, it, it grows. I mean, it goes. Up, I was just looking at this uh, last night, actually, and I mean, you look at the S and P chart for the last five years, and it's up about ninety percent. Over ten years, it's actually only up about seventy-five percent. Uh, but if you look at it over twenty years, it's up over three hundred percent. So, so you see, I think uh, the, the long-term argument there is uh, is obviously one that, that favors uh, keeping keeping your money invested for long periods of time. So, I would sort of take that money, I would stagger it out to where you could invest it, invest it consistently over long periods of time. Don't feel like you have to plow it all in there at once. And, and if, if you want to, you know, Give one of our services a look. I mean, you get your money back if you feel like it's not a, it's not a fit for you. Uh, that can help as far as the ideas go. Uh, but but either way, that uh, sounds like a nice problem to have. Two other things I'll add. You're absolutely right about the compounding effect, particularly when it comes to an S and P 500 index fund. Keep in mind, Dave, that also applies to fees. So there are plenty of really low cost S and P 500 index funds. You're getting the same fund whether it's you know any one of ten different 
companies that's going to sell it to you, but the difference there is the fee. So go for the low. And and if if someone has a fund with lower fees than Vanguard, I'm not aware of who they are. Yeah, I, I, I you're you're absolutely right. Don't you don't don't plow that money into you know a mutual fund if you have a. A friend who knows a guy just you know look the other way. I mean, there's just no reason no reason to do that because really at the end of the day, most of those mutual funds underperform the S and P anyway. So you're going to underperform and pay higher fees on top of it, which you know, let's face it, that sucks. <laughs> Doesn't it? It does. Um, and then the other thing I'll say when it comes to individual stocks is start with the areas that you're the most interested in. Start with your circle of competence. Warren Buffett, uh, his entire career has stayed away from technology companies for the most part, and he's the first one to say, "Well, I, I, a lot of times I don't really get it, so I stick to the things that I understand." And I find, as an investor, you sleep a lot better oh, if yeah. you invest in things you can just understand. You know how they make money, and you know what their plan is to make more money in the future. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um, before we wrap up, I got to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Chloe Kim, who is visiting. Today with her friend Kat from Boston. I always love to have visitors here. I love to have visitors, and as I always say, you don't have to bring tribute, but we love it when you do. And she brought it in the form of a very large box of Sugar Shack donuts. I'm gonna have my first Sugar Shack donut today. That's right, you haven't had I've one never yet. Never had one. It will change your view of donuts. So I felt that way when we went that we we would go down to the Outer Banks, North Carolina, for for the summer every year, and they have a place down there called Duck Donuts, which you know they make those donuts fresh on site yeah. there, and that was a life changing event for me there. I, I have a feeling this is going to be another one of those life changing events. I can't wait. I'm eager with anticipation. Let's get to it. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap things up. You can just start walking out the door while I do this. Let's uh, do it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.